0: Welcome to the CIFAL Talks Inaugural Economic and Financial Podcast Series. During our discussion, we will be exploring the outlook for the Bahamian economy and key financial and economic issues around the world and how they could impact the Bahamas. I'm Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CIFAL, and I'm joined in studio today with Angelo Butler, a Senior Financial Analyst at CIFAL, to reflect on the Bahamian economy then and now. So Angelo, let's get right into it and discuss the Bahamian economy and how its engines are churned.
1: Good day. Um, Well, I would say um, from my perspective, I think the Bahamian economy can be described as a small and open economy. Um, Small is, you know, in the essence of population as well as the size of the country um as it relates to being open um you know that means that we are subject to a lot of exogenous shocks um we are you know victims of any negative impacts that take place globally as we are seeing now currently with the covid pandemic um as well as we have the challenge of being an archipelagic nation Whereby there's significant um infrastructural requirements on you know all of the family islands they need medical facilities airports, and so it's a pretty um enormous task for us to um manage our economy on a daily basis um I think we all know the traditional sectors that drive this economy, tourism being the biggest, we also have you know some agriculture here and there um there's financial services real estate um which are the primary, and then we have a few export markets which we source um, as I mentioned, tourism is pretty much the driving force, and you know today we're seeing the impact that that dependence is having on us. Um, we also have financial services which previously would have you know provided significant economic activity, um, but we've you know begun to have some challenges in that due to geopolitical issues um, which has kind of increased our dependence on tourism now one reason why we're heavily dependent on tourism is because our survival or our nature heavily depends on our ability to earn foreign currency um you know everyone knows that the payment dollar is one-to-one with the u.s dollar or slightly lower if you know some person's factor in conversion rates etc but you know we import just about everything And so the U.S. dollar is very important to our economy. And one of the largest ways that we um, source U.S. dollars is through tourists coming here, spending money, visiting our hotels, eating in our restaurants. Um, And that will, you know, be a primary driver for the economy going forward. I would also say that those reserves are what sustain the peg. Um, And, you know, that is very important in our way of life um being able to import all of the goods we need the food the oil you know even the stuff we purchase for fun um all of that depends on our ability to earn foreign reserves and so that's pretty much just a summary of how our economy functions in my in my opinion um how we survive how we got to where we are today
0: i i think it's key for our development to note that our development is dependent on foreign currency Uh, that we can earn through export of goods and services. You know, you hear a lot of conversation about we should diversify, we should go into other areas, we should abandon tourism. Um, But the fact of the matter is any diversification will have to be able to generate those foreign currencies that we need in order to survive and grow. And when I look at it, I see where last year tourism net receipts was about three point two four billion dollars and that's important when you put that over our GDP that represent about 25 percent of our economy but when you take those same net receipts and you put it over our imports that's five, which was five, but five point nine billion. You see how important those foreign currencies um, are to our survival and to our development. And you mentioned financial services, and one of the one of the most important uh, ways we derive the financial services is through expenses. You know, um, back in two thousand. And 11, we had a few millions shy of half a trillion dollars attributed to our jurisdiction in terms of assets under management. And then in 2017, that had gone down to about 145 billion. But the overall economic impact was not felt if you if you go down from a few millions shy of a trillion to 145 or so billion dollars you would think that there was going to be a substantial economic contraction but it, there wasn't that because we predominantly get funds from uh the for the international financial services in the form of expenses they rent they pay salaries and that contribute to our reserve and another way Another important factor for our economy as well is foreign direct investments. Um, that's important for us in, in how we are currently derived uh, our tourism dollars. And last year, the net foreign direct investment was about $265, 265 million. And when you, when you drill down further, you see where those uh, foreign direct investments are really land transaction and then company equity. So, yeah. So our our economy um, is heavily dependent on on foreign currency earnings. And I think that needs to be noted, that needs to be understood. And so that when we build to try to diversify and when we build to try to grow this economy, that is taken into consideration, because like you mentioned, our dollar. Uh, you can't go into the international market with our dollar to get a conversion because it's just not tradable out there and so we need the foreign currency earnings to come in so that we can use the monies to purchase or import to over 80 percent of of goods and goods that be imported into the country.
1: Yes and I think for the foreign direct investment side of it I think we've you know, traditionally relied on those anchor projects, those big significant projects, but there's only so much of those we can have. And I think going forward, we have to look at how do we find more niche or smaller um, foreign investment investment projects to, um, you know, help us to continue to go forward. You know, with that said, I think we can kind of say that, um, you know, events in the past as well as the current have had an effect on us. So... Pamela, um, in terms of, you know, looking back on the Great Recession in 2007, 2008, um, as well as Hurricane Dorian and now the COVID pandemic, how would you say um, the response today compares to the response um, back then?
0: Well, it's interesting to note when you look back at the the, the Great Recession um, that we experienced in 2008, 2009, that the FNM administration under the leadership of Hubert Alexander Ingram presided over the uh, uh, the, the the party during that time and now we are dealing with another uh, crisis and the free national movement again is in the seat of governance uh, to help to manage this crisis and when I look back comparing what the response was or comparing the great recession to this current crisis with this pandemic I see where there was similar in terms of the response and what you got was increased borrowing and increased spending to support uh, government sponsored uh, programs. And actually, uh, out of the Great Recession came the unemployment benefit scheme um, that was introduced back in 2009 and then it was made um, permanent via legislation in 2010. So, borrowing is a way that we responded to that, um, that crisis back in 2007, sorry, 2008, 2009, and we're doing it again. So prior to the Great Recession, uh, our government borrowing was totaled $2.6 billion, and that was just about 30% of GDP. And the, 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 the benchmark for developing countries like the Bahamas in terms of debt to GDP, was 40%. And they say, if you're going over 40%, you are in uncharted territory and you're in dangerous ground. And so prior to that Great Recession, our finances, our fiscal position was conservatively managed. Uh, foreign currency borrowing back then, prior to all of this, was only $296 But What we see in response to the Great Recession, uh, the government just started to borrow like other countries around the world were doing. They had to borrow in order to fill the fiscal gap that we were experiencing. And so four to to five years after the Great Recession, government borrowing increased to $4.3 billion and U.S. borrowing or foreign currency borrowing increased to $1 billion, a little over $1 billion. And you see, that is dangerous territory. There has to be a way where we can where we can fill the gap in terms of our fiscal position without putting ourselves out there to the point where we are borrowing and down the road is going to have effect. And I, I think we haven't come out of that. We haven't come out of that, uh, that state that we were in, in terms of deteriorating fiscal position, because today now – uh, government borrowing is eight point two four billion dollars, or sixty six percent of GDP, while foreign borrowing has increased to over three billion, or twenty five percent of GDP.
1: Yes, and I, I think an interesting thing to notice that you know, as the government borrows more, the risk profile of the country increases, um, and you would see interest rates as well begin to, you know, continue to increase, and you know, at some point you know, when does it become unsustainable? Yes, you can borrow borrow the money, but if you're going to pay 10%, 11%, as some of the, you know, U.S. dollar government bonds are trading at, um, you know, at some point it becomes, you know, too expensive for you to borrow and you have to come up with alternate um, solutions, whether it be cutting back some discretionary expenditures or, um, you know, increasing taxes of, During this, of course, I think you need to continue to support the social welfare programs, Um, and so I commend the government for increasing that during a time like this. Um, You would need strong programs to help persons get through, but we have to find the balance between ramping up this debt as well as the amount of interest we're going to be paying just to service this debt going
0: forward. I agree. I agree totally. You mentioned social welfare program. Back then, you know, we spent about $97 million or so uh, on on social welfare program. And today we are spending in excess of $150 million. So we we are seeing, I think that's an indication of more and more Bahamians needing the support of government. And so an indication that our poverty rate is also increasing. And so I think we really have to look at ways that we can grow our economy for the future, because like you mentioned, the continuous borrowing is definitely not uh, sustainable. And we are at a point right now where where we went to the IMF. And while this borrowing, there are no strings attached. What it means is that the next time that we will have to go, there will be strings attached. And so there was a reason why uh, a past government never went to the IMF um, there was a last resort. And so I think we, we, are, we are an uncharted territory and we really need to have a plan in order to navigate ourselves out of the state that we are currently in. So when we look at those twin events, the Great Recession and right now the pandemic, um, how do you think, uh, Angelo, we can navigate ourselves out of this situation? And is there, are there any parallels that we can learn from what was done back then that we can imp- implement for today?
1: Well, definitely. Um, you know, it's always said that history repeats itself. Um, and if, so, of course, this is in the first pandemic. Um, you know, there have been several pandemics during history. Um, on the health side, I would say one thing to notice that, uh, you know, pandemics don't go away as quickly as we want. I know everyone's looking towards 2021. But, you know, there's no magic bullet that on January 1st, we're going to wake up and it's going to be gone. And so we have to accept the reality that this could be here for 12 to 18 to 24 months. Um, and taking that over to the economic side, I think we should be careful in, you know, expending all of our resources immediately. You know, do we just jump in with a massive stimulus program right now? Um whereby, you know, in six months, we may need additional stimulus. And so should we, you know, we should make sure that we have adequate social welfare programs, but, you know, make sure that we prepare ourselves if this lingers longer than we do. Also, from an economic side, um, you know, there's a traditional high unemployment, decreased trade, contraction in GDP, and decline in economic activity that's expected. Um, But what I think has puzzled many is the, you know, many of the, the theories that we learned in school, the economic theories are irrelevant. Um, you know, if you told someone in 1995 that the US government would run a 1 trillion dollar deficit in a growing economy, they would tell you there would be hyperinflation, the US dollar would collapse, um and you know, it it would be a really bad time. But today they're about to run a 3 trillion dollar deficit and interest rates on 30-year bonds in the US are below 1%. And so it's kind of, you know, a lot of the theories we thought were relevant or would help us to get through a time like this you know have kind of been thrown out the window and you know the world is just seemingly trying things um, to respond to this
0: yeah I think also um, you mentioned the high unemployment and the, the decreased trade and the decline in economic um, activity i I think though that also the the the, the key that we have to learn. From what has happened in the past to apply today is we must prioritize human welfare and human capital. And so what the government is doing to to address it, governments around the world, including the Bahamas, I think must be done and continue to be done as much as we possibly can. We have to look out for protecting individuals and protecting as well uh, businesses. And we also, I think, need to have a thorough understanding of the crisis in its immediate and long-term impact and alongside that, we must also have an effective plan for long-term economic uh, recovery. We need to map out that plan even as we address the current issues, and that plan must be supported with legislation. We must not just say that we're going to do stuff, but we must go and support that uh, with legislation. We also, what we also can learn from the past crisis of the Great Recession is there, there must be more investment in infrastructural products. Infrastructural investment is key to our economic development and, and in, in talking about infrastructure investment, it must be accessible and it must be reliable and we know that we are challenged and those infrastructural investments are electricity, water, transport and that's land marine and air and also telecommunication so we need to find a way in order to have these these investments accessible and they also must be affordable for Bahamians um, in order to help with our economic development so I think those are some of the things that we can learn from what happened in the past to implement it today yeah
1: I think once you're borrowing for productive assets um I think over time it pays for itself, and you can better explain that um to your citizenry, so given that we um you know understand the implications on the government's finances um what you know policy measures or shifts should the government um look to use to address um i guess the future that's coming after this
0: well, it's important to note that even prior to this pandemic, we had some challenges in the country. We had record high debt levels and relatively high debt ratios. We had stagnant revenue growth and we had weak long-term economic growth. And so it's expected that this pandemic would exacerbate all of these um, issues that we are having. So we were prior to this pandemic in a fragile economic position. And it's, it's only expected with the increased borrowing, I think, for the For the previous fiscal year 2019 2020, our deficit skyrocketed to 700 plus. Million dollars, and and the government is expected to have a deficit of this current fiscal year to the tune of 1.3 billion dollars. So we expect, you know, higher debt to continue. We expect lower revenues because economic activity was brought to a halt. Uh, we also expect uh, domestic private investments to contract uh, because of the uncertainty. And we also expect an erosion of physical and human capital due to closure of businesses and also issues that we're having with school. So I think in response to this, what needs to be determined is we need a better social protection system. For our people as, a, as one of the most important response that we can give. I mentioned that as a result of the Great Recession, we got the unemployment benefit that was tacked on to national insurance. So I think we really need to look at pension reform and put in legislation um, that 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 citizens of this country, as long as you're working, will have access to a pension plan where you contribute to the plan. So when issues like this occur, then we can uh, address. I also believe that national insurance need reform. We need to to look at reforming national insurance. Successive administration use the National Insurance Fund as a part of their fiscal policy strategy. You know, if you need a little funding, you go to National Insurance to get the money. And so um, sometimes out of desperation, there's no thought about is this investment good, for the fund and will produce the return that is needed um, for the fund because if you're saying that you have 1.2 or so billion dollars in assets then why is it that you are concerned when you just expend 100 to 200 million i mean you should have you know good wiggle room in order to support persons during this crisis
1: and to that point i think um you know the fiscal responsibility council That's a Good strategy to look at at NIB. Um, you have, you know, leaders of various financial communities, whether they financial, whether it be engineering. You have someone from healthcare, but privately selected boards where they can nominate someone that sits on the board, and so you don't have that, you know, direct political influence. You can have more independence, um, and I think you also would breed more confidence in in the system itself. Um, going forward to the point on NIB. So the actual unemployment rate is about 54%. um, And I think some of that is related to the, you know, impact on Grand Bahama and Abaco, um, where there's been pretty much total loss of activity. Um, And the pandemic, of course, has, you know, kind of cemented some of this and made it more difficult. So how do we get um, Bahamians back to work in the midst of this pandemic?
0: I think what is needed is targeted stimulus measures to drive economic growth. And first on the list is energy reform. You know, it still amazes me. We are a country with natural resources of the sun, and we are not utilizing that in order to reduce the burden on the Bahamian people and businesses. And successive administrations come in and, and, and give lip service when they are in opposition. To energy reform, but when they come into office, it's the same old uh, policies that they that they implement, and there's no resolve to our uh, energy reform crisis.
1: I think the government should also, um, you know, do some feasibility studies on our natural resources, um, just to see what is there, how much these things cost, what capital do we need, and whether or not, you know, it is something that is actually, um, you know, feasible for us so that we can get rid of some of the the notion out there that we're sitting on, you know, billions and trillions of dollars worth of... um, And so if we can do the feasibility studies, we can maybe possibly create new industries in those segments, um, s- particularly high-skilled um areas where we could expand our knowledge and capacity.
0: I agree totally. I think one of the challenges with the government in that terms of natural resources is the cost to extract the natural resource and have it in, in, in final form for the market. And so I think that's intimidating. And so they would probably rather, if, if you're told that you need 200, 300 million um, um, in order to, in order to just extract this and get this ready for market, I think that frightened governments, um, administrations away from that. And so they allow the natural resources to, some, in some cases, sit idle or allow others to come in and to develop that natural resource. Right? I agree there needs to be a feasibility study. You need to be honest about the findings and honest about what the government is prepared to invest in order to have those natural resources extracted and be used in a final product. So, Angelo, the pandemic has no doubt had a catastrophic effect on the lives and livelihood of Bahamians. If there's a positive in the midst of this pandemic, I would say it's an opportunity for us to change course or to reset and innovate. I think one thing that has come to the forefront is the status quo will just not do. Do you have, Angelo, like any positive that you can um, can reveal about this pandemic?
1: Well, I I would say, um, you know, I know it seems difficult and, you know, it seems, you know, for some like the end of the world, but, you know, we are not in this alone. And I say that as an individual as well as a country. You know, the entire world is going through this. Um, Just about every government has the same deficit issues, debt issues, unemployment, economic contraction. And so I think, you know, there needs to be a global solution to this. Um, How do we as a world get through this together. Um, so, and the Bahamas should continue to do as much as possible to make sure that we do not get left behind in whatever decisions are made going forward.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of a wonderful discussion, Angelo. And we will definitely have more of these honest and direct conversations on the state of the Bahamian economy and, of course, provide suggestions on the way forward. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. Please do visit our website, at www.cfile.com for future C-File Talks podcasts.